everybody. This is uh, FX Church. Uh, Pastor Matt Shockney here and the rest of our staff uh, coming to you um, during the midst of a pandemic and in the midst of a mess that we're in and uh, learning to trust God and still be the people He calls us to be. Um, we are trying to balance just how we continue to, to be the body of Christ, how we continue to provide care for you all. Uh, as always, um, you know, uh, go to our, our webpage. Um, you know, you can, we've got resources there for you, um, and be sure to, to connect with us in, in, uh, if you have needs, if, if there are issues, if there are prayer concerns uh, during this time. And we want to continue to, to give you uh, info from that page. We'll be having some devotionals that will come out. Uh, Brian is working with our youth uh, as well, and we just want to continue to help people. Uh, as we as we dive into the word, uh, we're going to get return back to Esther. Um, we paused on Esther last week in the midst of this, and and went through Jeremiah twenty nine. This week we're going to jump back in, and we're going to do kind of a group uh, talk again. It's going to be all of us together. Um, and uh, those that are here, do you want to introduce yourselves real quick so people know who's talking and and where? Gotcha. I'm Brian Hillard. I'm the youth pastor. Jason Snyder. I'm the associate pastor, arts worship arts. And I'm Luke Bellata. I help run communications, and I'm reporting live from a remote bunker deep in northern Indiana. <laughs> and so uh, that's our group. Um, and uh, so we want to we want to dive back into Esther because as we talk through it as a team, um, you know this this book is is really relevant to where we're at. Not that the rest of Scripture isn't, but um, God's people were going through some incredibly difficult times, and and um, His people were were getting ready to be to. to, to to die in mass numbers. And so, um, um, you know, we're, we're kind of facing some of those same challenges if we don't know what the future is going to hold and the dangers that are lurking. And, uh, and so we want to dive back in, but before we do that, let me pray for us. And then, uh, we'll, we'll dive into God's word together. Father, we thank you for your grace, for your glory, for your goodness, that you are in control, even though it seems like uh, things are, are out of control. Lord, there's a world that doesn't know you. They don't have the hope uh, that we have. And Lord, would you give us opportunities to communicate the hope we have through a relationship with Jesus Christ, the Savior, the one who saves, that there's nothing else in this world that's going to save us and save our souls. There's nothing in this world that's going to restore the world to the paradise that you want it to be except Jesus, you coming back and making it new again. And so, Lord, I pray that we would surrender our lives to you. We'd surrender our hearts right now. We'd just take a, a deep, calming breath as we dive into your word and as we see who you are and your faithfulness through the generations. Lord, um, we just pray that you give us your insight, your knowledge, your wisdom as we sit and we open your word together. We pray all this in your name. Amen. So we, we left Esther, uh, the story of Esther, and where we left off, if you remember, Esther has been kind of forced to be queen. They had a beauty contest she didn't want to enter. And um, she was then, the beauty contest was to make the women beautiful. And then the wicked king uh, of Persia, uh, Ahasuerus, would be uh, sleeping with each one of those women to see which one he liked better. And so basically, uh, Esther was raped. Um, she she really didn't have much of a choice. And it was either die or, or submit. And... We find Esther being humble, um, believing that, that even though she was in the mess that she was in, that God could still use it. And we find this guy, Mordecai, who 
adopted Esther. She was an orphan. And Mordecai, really being one of the main characters in the story who steps up to just want to make God um, put on display, and, and he refuses to bow a knee to this guy Haman, who is the king uh, Hazarus's second man in charge. And Haman hates uh, Mordecai, and Haman gets the king, tricks the king basically into issuing de- a decree um, to on a certain day, um, the rest of the nation can kill the Jews. They can, they can take all their property, they can annihilate them, then he can get rid of Mordecai, he can get rid of all the people Mordecai are connected to that Haman hates. Um, there's a history behind that you can, uh, of, of Haman's ancestry and why that's there. I'm not going to dig into that. But where we left off in the story is Mordecai is in sackcloth and ashes, crying out. The nation is actually in sackcloth and ashes, crying out for God's mercy. Um, they've been commanded to, to pray, to seek his face. Um, they know that if, if he doesn't come through for them, that this could go badly. And we left the story with Esther throwing a party, putting on a party to bring two people to, which is kind of crazy if you think about it. We think about gathering a party and having our big church party with hundreds of people. And Esther has a party and she invites two people. So she's below that 10-person threshold, right, <laughs> for, for where we're at. And, and she invites Haman and she invites the king. And the first party she has, she invites them, and it's elaborate, and it's amazing. And, and even to, to get permission to have the party, she had to risk her life to go before the king. And if the king wouldn't drop his scepter to Esther, she could have died. But because of her humbleness and her servant's attitude towards a man who even did wicked things to her, I mean, the, the, she was put in a position she didn't want to be put in. Her humbleness to still approach him when the queen before her wouldn't, come before the king when he asked her to was is just amazing it shows an incredible heart of humility and the king lowered the scepter and then he told her he said whatever you ask uh, after the first party he said whatever you ask will be given to you whatever you seek even to half the kingdom will be done and esther says well i don't want to ask yet i actually i want to throw you another party uh, and she purposely invited haman we're going to see that today uh, to kind of to, to catch him in this trap. And so Esther's really setting things up. It looks like things are terrible. It looks like things are tragic. The nation is weeping and fasting and praying. But behind the scenes, in the throne room of this king, there are amazing things getting ready to happen for God's people. And that's kind of where we're at. In the throne room of God right now in heaven, he's got this under control. There are things happening that, that we don't see. There are battles being waged. And it's kind of the same way. And so we dive into the story, and now we're at the second party. But right before the second party, what happens is the king has a dream in chapter 6. That dream that he has um, is a dream that, that kind of gives him some, some pause, and, 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 and he says, man, I, I need to, to read some bedtime stories. He can't sleep. And so he gets the story read and finds out that Mordecai at one time had saved his life. And so he wants to honor someone. He looks at Haman. He says, who should I honor? Uh, and Haman says, thinking that Haman, th- Haman thought it was going to be him that was going to be honored. And he was actually, because of his dream and what he read in the royal edicts uh, or in the royal um, history, it was Mordecai. And so Haman says, you should do all this for him. And it ends up being Mordecai. And, and Haman is forced to walk through the streets holding Mordecai on a donkey. And you can listen to the podcast from a couple of weeks ago to get that. But now Haman's been humiliated. He's built gallows, getting ready for the day to kill the Jews, to hang the Jews, and he's been caught there. 
And so now we have this situation where Haman is now ashamed. He, he's covered his head. He's walking in fear and shame. He goes back to his house and all the people that said, hey, things are going to be great. Things are going to be awesome for you are now looking at him and saying, you need to panic. You're in trouble. It kind of feels like what this last week's been. You know, two weeks ago, we were talking about how great the economy is and how wonder every, everything was. And, and now it's like, oh my goodness, things have really changed. And so that's where we drop ourselves into the story. We're having the second party. Haman went from thinking everything was great and awesome and that, that he was going to be put on high and, and everything was going to go his way. And, 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 the, and the Jews don't know what's going to happen. And it's just a big mess to now we, ju- we drop into chapter 7, the second party. Let's read 7-1 of Esther. The king and Haman came to the feast with Esther the queen. Once again, on the second day, while drinking wine, the king asked Esther, Queen Esther, whatever you ask will be given to you. Whatever you seek, even to half the kingdom, will be done. Queen Esther answered, If I have obtained your approval, my king, and if the king is pleased, spare my life. This is my request, and spare my people. This is my desire. For my people and I have been sold to destruction, death, and extermination. We've had, if we had merely been sold as male and female slaves, I would have kept silent. Indeed, the trouble wouldn't be worth burdening the king. King Ahasuerus spoke up and asked Queen Esther, Who is this, and where is the one who would devise such a scheme? Esther answered, The adversary and enemy is this evil Haman. And so we see that Esther set a trap. And if you remember the people fasting, it would also mean that their children are fasting, not just them. It's, it's the entire nation. And so right now you may be panicked about food. You may be panicked about things. And I'll just tell you that, that we're in no different position than God's people have been in before. This is nothing new. We are told that we will be suffering servants of his in this world because this isn't our home. This is our temporary home. And so Esther is able at this moment to confront the issue, and Haman's caught. And the irony of this is thick. And really, the, the title of this message was going to be, Whatever you seek, even to half of my kingdom will be done. And Jesus tells that in the New Testament, right? That, that if we ask anything in his name, um, that, that it'll be done. And, and when you look at the context of that, he, he, he means in, the, in his will, right? What, what is his revealed will? Sometimes we want things done for us, and it's not for others. And so we drop into the story here, and, and exactly what's happening is now Haman's panicked. He's terrified. He knows that the king has already promised up to half the kingdom to Esther multiple times, and Haman is like, oh, no. So Haman stood terrified before the king and queen. Angered by this, the king arose from where they were drinking wine and went to the palace garden. Haman remained to beg Queen Esther for his life because he realized the king was planning something terrible for him. Just as the king returned from the palace garden to the house of wine drinking, Haman was falling on the couch where Esther was reclining. The king, <laughs> the king exclaimed, would he actually violate the queen while I'm in the palace? As soon as the statement left the king's mouth, Haman's face was covered. Harbona, one of the royal eunuchs, said, there is a gallows 75 feet tall at Haman's house that he made for Mordecai, who gave the report that saved the king. The king commanded, hang him on it. They hanged Haman on the gallows. He had prepared for Mordecai. Then the king's anger subsided. You know, this is, this is an amazing turn of events. 
that's kind of where we sit right now. We need God to make an amazing turn of events. Either, either we need this virus to kind of go away, run its course, or, or we need Christ to just come back um, and, and to reveal himself and to bring us home to be with him. Either way, um, we know as believers that, and Esther and Mordecai knew that this was only a temporary pause on their lives. They all knew they would die someday. This is just a temporary pause. They were hurting for the people, and they didn't want to see the people perish. And I think that's just something for us to consider, that, that God has this. And even though it seems like everything's going the wrong direction, the people are in captivity in this time because of their wickedness and their sin. We talked about that last week for our own nation. And yet, God is still being faithful to his faithfulness, his covenant. It's not about us. It's about him and his plan. And so I think we have to remember that as we kind of go through these times. Um, and we have to, to consider what, what Esther was willing to do, what Mordecai was willing to do, the simple things they did to serve and to stand up for who God was uh, in, in the midst of the culture they found themselves in in the situations, believing that God has a plan, um, that, that, that we can ask him boldly, and, and he's going to say yes, no, or wait. Yes, no, or wait. Those are God's answers for us when we ask. And in reality, anything we ask for, if we're asking for it in heaven, if we're asking for it eternally, it's going to be a yes. It, it, it's it's going to be, hey, could I have a healthy body? Yeah, you can, if you know me. <laughs> if you've prayed to receive me, you're going to have a healthy body for eternity, right? Can I have, can I have a paid-for house and wealth and 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 food abundant? Yes, you can in eternity, forever, one day. Um, and then sometimes he gives us a glimpse of that on this side of eternity. Um, and so that's where I kind of want to drop that part, and then we'll move in and finish chapter 8 in just a second. But I want to open it up to the other guys uh, on some of their thoughts and, and uh, you know, as we drop into this time and where we're dropping into in the book of Esther and how it fits so well with kind of what we're going through. And we weren't prophets. We didn't pick Esther because, you know, prophetically we knew we were going to be in a very, you know, if I perish, I perish, right? And for such a time as this, um, it's just, we get the privilege of, of being able to, to be in this uh, passage and be in this book right now as we go through it. Um, and so guys, I'll open it up to you for any thoughts or things you're thinking about. I mean, it it's, doesn't as much tie into current events, um, but one thing I'm I think of the irony of what's going on with Heyman. I don't know if you remember the show, but do you remember To Catch a Predator that was on TV for a long time? And there was that that moment where someone thinks they're going to show up to this house and do what's evil, and they have a plan on what's going to go on, and what they don't know is they're walking into a trap. And then all of a sudden, the, the girl walks out of the room, and Chris Hansen walks in, and the guy who thinks he's about to get away with evil realizes he's caught he's been trapped in that moment and you can kind of see their brains going from oh here's how i thought the event was going to go and then here's how it's going now i think of that with Heyman. he's he's walked in like i've got a party scheduled it's just me the queen the king it's going well and he doesn't realize till the very end like he's he's walked into a huge trap and that's just an analogy of an, a somewhat modern show that i always think about like and the mind of Heyman reminds me of, like, of these predators in the show thinking they're walking into one situation and finding out it's something else. I mean, 
doesn't really tie in great with the coronavirus, but that's how it is for me at least. Well, and it's interesting to me in the story too that you know he's he's begging Esther for his life, right? Mm-hmm. And then it is taken out of Esther's hand whether she can spare his life or not, because the king walks in and says, "Kill him," right? And once an edict from the king is given, which we know from the book of Esther that once an edict from the king is given, it can't be taken back. So now it's out of Esther's hands whether she can even spare his life because an edict's been given by the king. And so again, it's that that idea for us that, that we don't know what's happening in the, in the spiritual realm. And anybody who tells you that, that, that they do, that be careful. <laughs> we don't. We're just trying to trust God and walk through it. And we don't know what's going on behind the scenes. And uh, to me, when I look at that, you know, it's like, here's Haman begging Esther. And when the king walks in and he sees Haman on Esther, he immediately thinks, you know, um, he, he's trying to, to, to do something to my wife. And he shuts it down. So I think that's ironic, too, um, in the midst of it. Yeah, and it's, it's interesting, the, uh, the scale of the, the trap that, that Haman ultimately sets that— um, He's trying to, he's trying to trap Mordecai, but he falls victim to his own trap. And it says it's seventy-five feet tall, the the gallows that he built. And we're we're on the fifth floor of a an undisclosed remote location. <laughs> you, you know, just looking down, like you know, this is probably about seventy-five feet up in the air. Mm-hmm. And uh, I mean, just the scale of that, and you know, the scale of building his own demise that um, that he fell upon, and uh, I'm just caught by the, like the the literary beauty even of the book of Esther. I mean, there's so much value of this story, um, you know, that could be put up against, um, you know, many of the literary classics. And uh, I don't know if you guys had um, good literary teachers at the schools where you grow up. Um, I, I I loved my 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 literature teacher. It was the the wife of our our school superintendent, and. And she would, you know, just unpack stories and talk about the conflicts that exist. She'd always use the word chock full. Like, you know, this is just chock full of, uh, you know, just, just amazing literary detail. And, you know, the, the classic conflicts of man versus man, man versus environment, man versus himself, etc. We, we see this over and over again in the book of Esther. And it, it changes kind of throughout the chapters, right? Where, you know, it starts off and it's, um, you know, it's King Ahasuerus versus Queen Vashti, and we're not really sure who the protagonist or the antagonist between those two is, right. and she kind of disappears, so we'll we'll assume she's the antagonist of that conflict for a moment, and then it's the king versus the assassins, you know, that are that are trying to take his life, and, you know, and then it turns into Haman versus Mordecai, and that's, that's why we have the gallows built, um, and you know maybe even more Haman versus the entire Jewish nation at that point, and then in chapter seven a, a new conflict um, comes just kind of seemingly out of nowhere for for Haman. This conflict between Esther and Haman that that ensues, and you know ultimately he he falls victim to that, and um, you know it, it's just a it's a great liter literary. Um, uh, you know, story that that we can glean so much from, and you know, and and recognize even to today the, the you know the the conflict that we're facing. I, I don't know if this is you know a new type of conflict, man versus microbe, or if you know if <laughs> microbe is you know nature, a part of nature, uh, you know the unseen that uh, you know that would destroy us. But 
you know, what do you do in the midst of conflict and, and what's your reaction? Are you, are you building gallows that, that you're going to end up hanging yourself on? Oh, that's good. Or, yeah. or you're, you're seeking the, are you seeking the good of, um, you know, your, your people? Um, it, and it's interesting to me, Esther says, you know, if we would have just been sold into slavery, I'd be quiet. I, I wouldn't mm-hmm. bother you, King. Uh, but th- this is about our life, uh, the, the life of, of your queen, the life of my people that uh, is getting ready to be taken from us. And, uh, you know, what, what do we do in the, in the midst of conflict? Who do we, who do we turn to um, and, you know, ultimately, uh, you know, in this story, God is looking over and, and God is faithful to, to, uh, to, to provide for them even though we don't see any miracles in the story of Esther, right? Like there's, there's no, um, you know, there's, there's no mention of miracle or God making a declaration or, or a statement. Uh, it, it's just a, a seemingly earthly story that, you know, I, I think there's a lot of value for us today in, in the earthly story that, that we're going through as we, as we cry out to God and say, you know, God, where are you through, through everything that's happening? And, um, that, that's kind of what, what I'm drawn through here in chapter seven. I think that's a great question to talk through, too, just asking what do we do in the midst of conflict? I mean, we're in a conflict right now, as you mentioned, and, and kind of going back a little bit in the book of Esther, but looking at chapter um, four, kind of as Mordecai's talking through the messenger to Esther, but looking at verse 14, he talks about, if you keep silent at this time, liberation and deliverance will come to the Jewish people from another place. But you and your father's house will be destroyed. Who knows? Perhaps you have come to your royal position for such a time as this. And it's kind of showing that Mordecai's heart, he's trusting in God's plan. He's trusting the promises of Abraham. He knows that God has promised that he's going to use his people much further than this. And he's trusting in that. In the same way right now in this unknown conflict, we may not make it out alive on this earth, but we have to trust in God's promises of the next life and spending eternity with him. And that's kind of where our hope and our heart should be throughout this conflict. Um, It's just focusing on going to God. We can't be responding in fear or things like that, but focusing in the midst of this conflict, relying heavily on God and using it to the best of our abilities to share with other people in the fear that they're having. Yeah, totally. Um, I also think too, that as we, as we dive into it, you know, this, it's, it's the encouragement to know that that God has it under control. And when he looks at Queen Esther and says, whatever you ask up to half the kingdom, you know, Jesus has told us that we can ask. He tells us in Hebrews that we can enter boldly into the throne room, that we don't need a mediator or a priest to speak on our behalf other than himself, other than Jesus himself, if we have a relationship with him, if we surrendered our lives to him, if we've asked him to, to forgive our sins, to cover us, so that when we are covered and come into the presence of God, we have his covering. That God the Father doesn't see sin, he sees his son. And that's really one of the things that you see in, in this book is, you know, we can ask whatever we want, but there are certain things that have already been determined that can't be taken back. And that's what we're going to see in chapter 8. Because in chapter 8, what we see is Ahasuerus realizes he was tricked. He, he realizes that, that this is tragic. He he he. he He's, he's stuck, though, because he's now made an edict. He's now made a law and can't take it back. And, and that's the same thing from our Bible. So often, people don't want to read their Bible and understand the edicts, the laws, ordinances, and statutes that God has ordained. We want to think that, that I can pray healing away. 
Like I, I can, or I can pray sickness away every time. And if someone's not healed, well, then it's their fault. They didn't have enough faith. Versus looking and saying, no, God already has a plan in place. He wants us to have a relationship with him. He wants us to talk to him and ask him. But on those things that have been decided, we can't change those. They're going to, to happen. Does that mean we just throw up our hands and think, oh, well, I don't care. It's, it's going to happen. Well, if Esther would have done that, had Esther thrown up her hands and said, well, once the king makes an edict, it can't be taken away. So you know what? I'm just going to throw up my hands, and I guess I'll die when he finds out I'm Jewish. It's the same thing that people do so often with, with God. Instead of going to him, not knowing how it's going to work out, not knowing, like, I want to be healed, and I don't know how it's going to work out. I, I want these things, but I, I trust you, and I'm not going to try to get them. I'm not going to try to, like, you know, make it happen, so to speak, but, but I'm going to do what I can. And so when you drop into chapter 8, it says, That same day, King Ahasuerus awarded Queen Esther the estate of Haman, the enemy of the Jews. Mordecai entered the king's presence because Esther had revealed her relationship to Mordecai. The king removed his signet ring. He had recovered from Haman and gave it to Mordecai, and Esther put him in charge of Haman's estate. Then Esther addressed the king again. She fell at his feet and wept and begged him to revoke the evil of Haman the Agagite and his plot he had devised against the Jews. The king extended the golden scepter towards Esther so that she got up and stood before the king. So Esther again risked her life on behalf of her people. She fell at the king's feet, which you weren't supposed to touch him. You weren't, he had to let you do that. And she fell at him believing and trusting that the king would, would lower his scepter. That is, that is Jesus right there. That is, that is a representation of we can come into the throne room of grace and we can approach our God. We can fall on our faces and trust him for his response, whatever it is. If we perish, we perish. And if he, if he, if he says, tell me what you want, we, we listen. And what's interesting in this, and we have to remember this as believers, we have a pandemic going on and there are going to be people that come out of this better. There are going to be certain industries. There are going to be certain things that come out with signet rings and come out with all this wonder. There are going to be churches that come out of this really well and churches that come out of this really hurting and struggling. There are going to be people who, who are lifted up and elevated and people that are torn down. And it's amazing to me that Esther doesn't stop and say, look how blessed I am. Look at all that God's done for me because I was so righteous and because I did the right thing. And wow, now me and Mordecai are going to be fine because the king won't let us be killed. If somebody tries to come and kill us on the day the Jews are supposed to be killed. King's going to defend me. He's going to defend Mordecai. My family's okay. We're going to put up walls. I'm going to make sure nobody can get in. Like we're going to be taken care of. That is not Esther's heart, nor is it Mordecai's heart. Their immediate heart, Esther's immediate heart after getting everything in her mind, like that any of us could ever want and seeing Mordecai lifted up, being given Haman's estate, her immediate thought is not about herself, her own blessing, what she has. Her immediate thought is to risk her life again to fall before the king and cry out on behalf of her people. And then it says, she said, if it pleases the king, I have found, and I have found approval before him. If the matter seems right to the king and I am pleasing in his sight, let it be written. Wow. Like, that is how we should approach our king Jesus. We should approach him and be like, I, I know if I found approval because of your death for me, your grace, and, and if this is important enough for me to come to you and it's important to you, and I, I just want to please you, I want to honor you would, you, would you, would you give a word? Would you show me in your word what you've written in the Bible? Would you show me in your word 
what it is I'm supposed to do. And then it says, let it revoke the documents. The scheming Haman, son of Hamadatha, the Agagite, wrote to destroy the Jews who reside in all the king's provinces. For how could I bear to see the evil that would come on my people? How could I bear to see the destruction of my relatives? We have people right now in our circles, Darlene and Jeff up north in Hammond, Indiana. Um, oh, sorry, Hobart, Indiana. Brian corrected me. Um, that his wife was one of the first diagnosed in Indiana with COVID-19. And he has now been diagnosed and it looks bleak. Um, we need to pray for them. And we need to see that our relatives, people that we know, people that are in our partnerships, other believers are suffering terribly because of this. We don't need to be fearful. We don't need to be afraid. We need to be, to be bold in our obedience. See, Esther was bold in her obedience to the king. And she looked at the king and said, I will obey you whatever it is you write, whatever it is you do. She was bold to ask and she was bold to obey. That's where we need to be right now as we kind of go through this, this process. And then it goes on. It says, King Hazarus said to Esther the queen and to Mordecai the Jew, look, I've given Haman's estate to Esther. And he was hanged in the gallows because he attacked the Jews. You may write in the king's name whatever pleases you concerning the Jews and seal it with the royal signet ring. A document written in the king's name and sealed with the royal signet ring cannot be revoked. On the 23rd day of the third month, that is the seventh month of Sivan, the royal scribes were summoned. Everything was written exactly as Mordecai ordered for the Jews to the satraps, the governors, the officials of the 20, 127 provinces from India to Kush. The edict was written for each province in its own script, for each ethnic group in its own language, and to the Jews in their own script and language. Mordecai wrote to King Ahasuerus, name and seal the edicts with the royal signet ring. He sent the documents by mounted couriers who rode fast horses, bred from the royal racing mares. The king's edict, here's the key. What was written? Because they couldn't overthrow the edict. They couldn't say, well, just make this disappear. Let's just Let's just make this coronavirus disappear, this COVID-19. Just, just make it disappear. It's, it's here. We're living in it. What they did was this. The king's edict gave the Jews in each and every city the right to assemble and defend themselves, to destroy, kill, and annihilate every ethnic and provincial army hostile to them, including women and children, and to take their possessions as spoil of war. This would take place on a single day throughout all the provinces of King Ahasuerus on the 13th day of the 12th month in the month of Adar. A copy of the document was to be issued as law in every province. It was to be published for every ethnic group so the Jews could be ready to avenge themselves against their enemies on that day. On their royal horses, the couriers rode out in haste at the king's urgent command. The law was also issued in the fortress of Susa. Mordecai went out from the king's presence clothed, look at this, in royal purple and white with a great golden crown and purple robe of fine linen. What we see here is amazing. We see that there's an edict that they give that says, no, we can't get rid of this, but we can fight. We can fight for our lives. Folks, that's where we're at right now. We can fight for ours and for the lives of others. We can do what we need to do to care for one another, to, to reach out to one another. And, and this fight's probably going to be a while. When the economy's done, people are going to be hurting from this. There's going to be a big hole to dig out of. There's going to be a lot of care that needs to happen. And we need to be aware of that and thinking about, like Jason said, 
that we don't build some gallows for ourselves now that we hang ourselves on later, that, that we're careful and obedient. And I love the fact that, that Mordecai is clothed in royal garments. And we'll talk about that in a minute. But, but what's, what's amazing to me is the fact that they could avenge themselves. Listen, we have the right to avenge ourselves. God gives us the right to, I can gather with 100 people if I want to. I, I, can, I can do whatever I want. We're, we live in America. I, I'm not free of the consequences. I'm not free of the consequences of my decisions. We embrace those consequences. That's what Esther did. That's what Mordecai did. And now that's what he's telling the Jews they have to do. Listen, I can't undo this, but I'm asking you to embrace the consequences and get ready. I mean, I'm asking you to embrace this in a way that, that, that communicates to everyone around you that our God is strong and that life is worth fighting for. And so those are some interesting things that I love about that section. Um, and then I'll, again, I'll open it up to the guys. And what are some thoughts you glean from this? Yeah, just early in chapter 8, I just think of the the difference between the way that Esther addresses the king and how so many of us address God when we pray. Um, Even when I'm trying to say, hey, God, let your will be done, I always say what I want first, and then I always say, oh, if if you will it, let it be the case. (laughs) Like, I, I see the kind of arrogance I have in myself to where I'm like, God, I want to say this first, and then I'll see how you feel about it. And here you see Esther addressing King Xerxes and she's saying, if I found your favor, if this is your will and communicates all of that and then says what she wants and then even says, Hey, I wouldn't even have said anything up to a point where I feel like I have to. And I just see the difference between that and me. And that that's kind of eye opening. And maybe I should address the way that I personally pray. And I'm, I'm sure as you're hearing this, you probably have a similar response as well that, you see the humility in Esther that we just don't really possess today. Yeah, I don't think in Western Christianity we know how to approach God or the holy. You know, we, we say all the time that when angels uh, walked the earth in the stories of, of Scripture, that the, the response of people that we read about was, was to bow down in mm-hmm. fear as dead men. And, you know, the, the idea of uh, approaching royalty, majesty, and um, you know, being in fear of your life and and beginning your words with "if it pleases the king," that that is so far from from anything that like we we express in our our prayers to God, our 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 worship. Uh, it, it it's almost that you know he's he's the sugar daddy up on high mm-hmm. that's that's going to give us the the big guy the, upstairs, right? Yeah. He's yeah. going to give us what what we want and. Uh, you know, I, I can half imagine if angels were to walk the earth in the midst of our crisis, our response would probably be, it's about time, where have you been? Mm-hmm. Like, you oh, know, yeah. come and That's take true. care of us. Like, it, would, would any of us really fall down in fear of our life at the, the you know, the, the, the majesty of the moment, whether Jesus walking the earth or, or his, his messengers? And I, I feel like we've just lost that in our, our culture today, and it's so refreshing to uh, to see this in in Esther's story, how, how to approach royalty, how to come before the king, how to how to begin, you know, it, it, your will be done, not not mine. If if it pleases the king, may these things and, happen. And even her willingness to be bold, right? Like like she approached, but she wasn't afraid to ask. She knew mm-hmm. she, she you know what I mean. But she but she understood that the king was to be revered. And for us, we have a much greater king than. Hazarus. Hazarus is a wicked dude. Like if you right. read, this was King Xerxes, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Like that's his other name. Like 
this guy was wicked. This is what, you know, Assassin's Creed video right. game is based, is this guy, you know, like, like, like this guy's not a good guy. And I yet, I know you were a gamer, man. And, and I'm not, <laughs> I, I learned that from my son. So, and he doesn't even play that game. So, um, probably cause we don't let him. So he knows what he's missing anyway. So, I mean, I'm, I look at this and, and I, and I realize that, yeah, we, where's that awe and that reverence. And right now people are running around panicked. They're in fear but they're not in fear of the right thing. Their fear is misplaced. It's not a fear of, of disappointing God, a fear of, of, of him and, and our need for him. It's, it's a fear of, I'm going to lose what I got. You know what I mean? I'm, I'm, mm-hmm. I might lose my life. Esther's fear was not for just her own life. It was, I want God to be glorified. And if his people aren't here, then his glory leaves. And for us in the New Testament, let's just be honest, guys, that means a lot more because we know that the temple is no longer a place. We talked about that last week. The temple is our heart. Jesus, when we come to know him, he said the Holy Spirit no longer resides in a holy of holies, but enters into our heart at the moment of salvation, and we are indwelt by the Holy Spirit, and it gives us the ability to be comforted, to have power, to have understanding. And when that happens... Do we realize that we're walking around with the Holy of Holies or do we just treat it nonchalant? Like, I can do whatever I want and God will forgive me. I can, you know, it's no big deal. I, no, there's a, the Holy God lives in us, according to Scripture. That should give us some pause with some of the things we watch, some of the things we say, some of the things we do, the way we treat uh, situations. And I don't, and I mean that both on truth and on grace that there are some situations where we need to step up and, and be bold in truth because of the holiness of God. And there are moments when we need to be bold in the grace of God because he didn't kill us when we've entered the Holy of Holies. The Holy of Holies entered us and we're still alive, right. which is a miracle. Mm-hmm. And so it's that, that, that rub that we find ourselves even in now. And you're talking about that, that fear being misplaced. And, of course, Luke, uh, Luke's Gospel, Chapter 12, Verses 4 and 5, he, he talks about fear and misplaced fear. He says, uh, and this is Jesus speaking, I say to you, my friends, don't fear those who kill the body, you know, whether it's a, whether it's a soldier, whether it's an assassin, whether it's, uh, you know, uh, a, a microbe. Um, and, and then after that, they can do nothing more. So, you know, in other words, they, they can kill the body and then, then they're done. That's as, as, as deep as... Um, what they do to you goes. Verse 5, but I will show you the one to fear. Fear him who has the authority to throw people yeah. into hell after death. Mm-hmm. There's another life coming. There's, there's a judgment coming. And this was Jesus teaching this. Right. Yeah. Yeah, and that's, uh, you know, that, that's a good guide to where our fear should live today through, through this crisis. Are, are we... Um, are we like Esther before the king, you know, the, the fear that she had there? Or, um, you know, are we, are we fearing something that is only temporary in, in terms of its impact to us? You know, I, I think also with, with the Hazerus, you're talking about he's, he's a bad dude. And it, it's just, it's funny through this story how, it, you know, you, you look back a, a few chapters and when this whole mess and this whole predicament began, it, he was just like, you know, as, uh, as Haman came to him, yeah, whatever, I don't care, I just do it. If, you, if that sounds good to you, you know, go for it. You know, we're talking about the, the execution and the slaughter of, you know, hundreds mm-hmm. of thousands or potentially even, you know, millions of Jews across 127 provinces uh, from 
from Ethiopia all the way up to India. It's like a 2,000-mile a, a span. It's, it's as wide across as America is. And he's going to allow the slaughter of this people to happen. And he's not even doing his research. He doesn't mm-hmm. even care. He, he doesn't even want to know what the struggle is. Okay, Haman, if that's what you want to do. And then here in chapter 8, it's kind of funny that, uh, that Esther comes before him. And, and he, doesn't, he doesn't really get involved. He says, here's my signet ring. Write what you want to write. Oh, yeah. Send what you yeah. want to send. Yeah. You, you guys figure it out. And thank goodness for Mordecai and, yeah. and for Esther, you know, to, to, to be able to take that then and to come up with a framework, a legal framework to, to send out, you know, to, uh, to give people hope. And, uh, and it's, it, it's just an indictment of, of the character of, of this Ohazerous, um, you know, king and just how unlike the, the king of glory, King Jesus, that uh, is going to come and, uh, you know, sit on the throne eternal. Yeah. And I, I think how much is he just relying on other people to make all of his decisions for him? Even going back to chapter seven, when it comes to killing Haman, it's some random guy named Harbona is like, oh, yeah, there's a, some gallows over there. Let's go ahead and kill him. He doesn't even come up with that idea by himself. And I, I wonder, like, what did Haman do to Harbona to where he just <laughs> chimed in? Like, hey, how, how about these gallows that he builds? I, I don't know anything about them. But, but everything that happens here we see is really the action of someone else. Even though Xerxes is the king, it's, it's Haman coming out with the original decree. It's Harbona coming up with the idea, let's kill Haman. It's Esther and Mordecai coming up with the idea of how to save the people, like, I understand he's a powerful leader, but he he doesn't seem like much of a leader at all in this. Well, and he loves to party. Yeah, like, that's, that's what he cares about. Yeah. Which, that's what a lot of people are upset right now, right? Like, this has ruined my parties. This mm-hmm. is ruining my, my fun time. And some you know, people and, aren't even letting that ruin their party, and we're seeing the consequences yeah, of it. Right? Yeah. And so, you know, to me, there's that's a big part of this that we're in the midst of, um, you know, as we go through it. and, and and again, as we kind of finish up here in chapter 8, you know, it says that Mordecai went out from the king's presence. I'll read it again. Clothed in royal purple and white with a golden crown and purple robe of fine linen, the city of Susa shouted and rejoiced, and the Jews celebrated with gladness, joy, and honor. In every province and every city, whether the kings, wherever the king's command and his law reached, rejoicing and jubilation took place among the Jews. There was a celebration and a holiday, and many of the ethnic groups of the land professed themselves to be Jews. Because the fear of the Jews had overcome. Like, this is an amazing, amazing turn of events. Mm-hmm. I don't know about you guys, but in the midst of this tragedy and what's going on, this has been my prayer. My prayer is, is man, God, would you, through Christians, your people, that's, that's who the Jews were. They were God's covenant people. And as Christians, we are God's covenant people under the new covenant of Jesus. Who It's no longer the, the, the sacrifice of animals. It's, it's his ultimate sacrifice. His blood that paid the price. That so I don't have to, I don't have to give my blood for salvation. He's given His, and my response should be to this kind of gratitude. It should be this kind of celebration to know that according to to the Bible, that I am clothed royally, that I am a son, I am a daughter of the King, that that I have the royal garments that that God puts on me to be His representative. It doesn't mean I go out and proud proud and you're going to do this and you're going to do that. That was Haman's heart. That, that's not Mordecai's heart. Mordecai comes out and there's, there's a celebration, there's singing, there's, there's jubilation, realizing that, that, that the king has spared them. 
And, you know, even in the midst of this mess that we're in, as believers, we should be rejoicing and weeping. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. And there is rejoicing happening every moment in heaven. They're rejoicing over the death and the resurrection and the glory of God and the glory of the Lamb, Jesus, every single day. They're crying out, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty every day. It, it's, it, it is, he is on his throne. Things haven't changed. And so I think when I read this, I'm so encouraged because it's like, man, there's, there's celebration and it says, and a holiday. You know, I've, I've thought about this the last couple of weeks as, as we've been going through really the last week. Um, we don't know how to holiday rest. We don't, we don't know how to Sabbath. We don't, we, these people are having a celebration, guys, they're having a celebration and they're still slaves. Mm-hmm. They're still in slavery. They don't live in their land they want to be in. Their temple is still, you know, probably torn down at this point. It might've been rebuilt, you know, at this point, possibly not fully, but Ezra went back at some point, but they haven't been returned back to their land. They're in a mess. And yet, it's not like, well, he got us out of that problem. I'm just going to do what I want now. There's like a pause of like, oh, thank you. Thank you, God. And because of their response, remember, there's two responses here. The people around them would have seen them going from sackcloth and ashes. They're wearing sackcloth. I don't think any of us at this table are wearing sackcloth right now. We're not, we don't have ashes thrown on ourselves, reminding us that we came from the ashes. We came from the dust. We're nothing. That, that's what sackcloth and ashes does. It reminds you of that. None of us are telling our kids yet that they have to fast and pray and can't eat, which the Jews would have been telling their kids because we're going to die. So it doesn't matter if you get lunch today. Like, like that was happening in this moment. And then all of a sudden, they're watching Mordecai fasting and praying. They watch him be grabbed up and taken to the king thinking, oh, he's dead. Boy, this isn't going to go well. Then they see him being marched around, (laughs) right? And now they see him come out and he's got all the royal power and authority. Like this is like the the crucifixion story. Jesus is crucified. The enemy thinks he's won and he comes back to life. And then he's alive and wanders around for, for many days revealing himself, right? And then he's taken up into heaven and sends back the Holy Spirit. Like this is this is incredible. And so for us, I think we may be in a time of maybe some, some prayer and fasting and weeping and like, man, some, some fear and what's going to happen. And, and that's kind of where the people were. But we have to believe that what happened to Mordecai is going to happen to us. It may not be on this side of eternity. But we know for sure when you read the book of Revelation that this is going to happen to us. And I just think as we kind of finish this up, that's that's one of the most encouraging things that I see, that when you get to this point in the book, it's like no one saw this coming, right? We want to pause with, woo, we, we made it. We didn't die. The, the, the COVID D virus went away. Okay, now let's just get back to doing life like we want to do it. And instead, they're like, no, we're pausing all of life. We're taking a Sabbath. We're going to do a holiday. We're going to take time to celebrate. We're going to take time to pause. We're going to take, like, because we're so busy, we can't just stop and just say, man, you're awesome. And they recognized that they had to do this in this moment. And because they went from fasting, weeping, broken for their people, broken for their queen, broken for Mordecai, to rejoicing, people saw that and said, that's different. 
I've not seen that anywhere. You guys are slaves and you're, you're doing this. Like, wow, your God must be real, which I think is just amazing. Yeah, I mean, what do you think the odds are that we respond as a nation in that way when this is over? I would say pretty limited. Yeah, yeah. But it's interesting in uh, in verse eleven, uh, you know, we we read that the king's edict gave people the right to assemble uh, to defend themselves, and it's you know it, it's worth noting I think that in, in scripture um, it, the verses of scripture don't boil themselves down into nice neat formula like you you can't read that and try to apply that to our day and say see we have the right to to gather and assemble because you know they did in this moment or whatever uh you know we we find such conflicts throughout the pages of scripture you know especially with Jesus if if you're looking for a formula on how to be healed or how to go out like you know one time he sent the disciples out with 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 money and swords. Another time, don't take money and don't take swords. <laughs> mm-hmm. When when he would yeah. heal people, when he'd heal the blind, like there, there wasn't a, a magic formula in terms yeah. of it was always different. Never yeah. heal the same person twice the same way. Right. And and so you know it's it, it's more about the the relationship with God, seeing the big picture of what God is doing, history, His story throughout the pages of Scripture and uh, you know beyond um, in, into this this age this you know, after the death of Christ age, where we, we don't have pages of Scripture that, um, you know, are documenting the times that we live in, that, that we know about, you know, the, um, the, the writings ended at, at the time of Christ and the, the early church. But, you know, as we go back and try to interpret the Scriptures, just, you know, having the understanding that there's not a formula to follow, you know, in terms of, um, you know, re- reading this and, and and then just doing what what we read in in the pages versus having that right relationship um, with the king and approaching him if it pleases the king and bowing down him before um, you know in fear and having fear in the right um, you know in the right thing in the moment and, um, and 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 that leads us you know as FX Church to to not assemble um, you know the, the king has asked us not to. Uh, and and so we're, you know, we're, we're choosing not to. There are other churches that, um, that they're going to do what they're going to do. They read this and say we have the right to assemble, so we're going to. And who's the king to, to tell us not to? Um, but that's that's just not how we look at it. And uh, you know, ultimately, as we read with Jeremiah, we we pray for and we seek the welfare of the city, and that's, you know, that's our hope. And um, so I I just think that's worth noting it's you know as you read that that um you know that seeing this right to assemble and recognizing like that those rights are being taken away from us you know they are in new york and california uh illinois um even even to get out on the roads but um you know certainly um you know across the country not not assembling uh you know in groups of more than 10 or 50 you know depending on the context and that's that's hard for us to do in, in Western Christianity. Mm-hmm. Sure. Are we supposed to listen to the king or not? What's the formula? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Luke, I just, do you have anything you want to chime in? Yeah. I mean, I think you guys did a really good job of filling it up. I don't have much else to add. I mean, I just think it'd be interesting to think about 
what life will be like after this, yeah. assuming that the Lord doesn't come back. Like, it's going to be different regardless. Eventually, we'll fall Hey, hey you're stealing the thunder for next week. Will like, like, <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah, hold exactly. on, hold what on. If we we're still well, here. We like, might as well get it out now because yeah, we don't know no. what's going to happen next week. <laughs> yeah, yeah, for real. Say what we can. Uh, but how will we respond? Like, will will God's people, will we rejoice? Will we be praising him? Or will we kind of just forget about the miracles that he did of for keeping us through this? And are we going to take time to, to worship or are we just going to continue on with our day and figure out the new stress to keep us busy? So I just think it's interesting to, to kind of think. And I always wonder how when I look at the Old Testament and see the Israelites, like they just follow in a circle of like God performs a miracle and then quickly they forget and are go back to their sinful ways. And like, man, God never does anything for us. But like, I'm curious, like what would happen six months from now or whatever? Will we remember like, oh, COVID-19, like God kept us through that. Like we're still here. Are we still going to praise him? Or are we just kind of going to forget and go back to our normal ways and be like, God hasn't done anything. So just that was kind of my two cents through it all, I guess. Yeah. And as, as we wrap up, I, I want to, I'll close us in prayer. But before I do, I just, I want to continue to communicate uh, to everybody that, you know, we, we want you to ask if, if you're in a place where you're hurting you're, you're struggling emotionally, you're struggling through this time, um, man, reach out to us. You know, Esther was willing to, to approach and, um, you know, check your heart, you know, bef- before you do that, you know, you know, if it's, Hey, you need to fix all my problems and here's how you need to do it. That's probably not the right way to approach anyone. Um, but it's not wrong to call us to, to say, Hey, here's where I'm at. I'm struggling. What do I do here? And we'll try to give you advice. I've already, I've already done that with some people to walk them through some hard things, even just simple things like, what do I do with my time and finances? What am I going to do? Because I, don't, I lost both my jobs. And now what does it look like to, to, to take the right steps, right? To, to make sure that I do thing one, thing two, thing three. And, and guess what? There's going to be suffering in whatever choice you make and an impact. And so um, we want to we help and counsel you on that. And so please reach out uh, to us. and. And uh, just know that we're going to take you to the Word. We're going to take you to the edicts of Scripture. We're going to try to walk you through it. We don't have a formula for this, um, and we just want to be faithful through it as God's people um, and and allow it to change us and to to pray and to ask God for the welfare of our city, uh, to ask Him to save people, uh, not just people physically but eternally through this, that people would cry out to Him, surrender to Him uh, in in this time. And so... uh, yeah, just, just remember that that's our God, um, that, that he wants us to ask, and he wants us to trust him what, with whatever the answer is, yes, no, or wait. Um, and let's not be prideful or arrogant. Let's be very humble during this time. Uh, allow ourselves to, to be a humble people. Um, and, and really, too, to dig into the pages of Scripture during this time to, to see what's really true about our God. And I've said this before, but, you know, an easy way to read Scripture is to ask yourself, when you read a passage of the Bible, is to ask yourself, what does this tell me about God? What does this passage tell me about man who he created and man's response to God? And then thirdly, ask, you know, what is God saying about me and my heart and, and who he's made me to be and, and the circumstances that, that I'm in? And then lastly, ask, is there anything I need to do based on who God is, who man is, who, who I am? And now my response to that. And that's an easy way to read through Scripture during this time. And it starts with God. 
right? It starts with worship. It starts with saying, man, God, this is who you are. This is how I see who you are. Then it brings us to our knees to look at who God is, like Esther did. She recognized who Ahasuerus was, and she recognized who she was. She fell at his feet, and God, this is mankind, and you've loved us. You've cared for us. You've allowed us to exist, and you want a relationship with us. And and then lastly, looking and saying, okay, now what's our response once the king drops the scepter? Once What's our response, um, and what does he want us to do? And so just take some time to think through that this week. Um, appreciate the guys all being in and, and doing this, um, and uh, we'll be coming again next week. It might be a little bit different format based on uh, our ability to gather uh, small together like this or not. We're not quite six feet apart. We're about four <laughs> feet apart except for Luke, uh, but we're trying to... We're trying to Four distance ourselves. 250 miles. Yeah. 200 miles, so, yeah. And uh, so if you average it out, we're really far apart. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> there you go. Um, but, but don't be in fear. Know that our God, we've been through this before. This isn't anything new. Anytime you hear the word unprecedented, just shake your head back and forth. No. Anytime you hear that word, this is, this is not unprecedented. Um, it may, may have never happened in our lifetime, but it's happened before. And our God has been faithful. Um, so let me pray for us. Father, we thank you again, for the opportunity to gather together. Lord, thank you for these faithful men sitting around this table and one sitting far away. Lord, help us to be faithful, to serve you, to pray, to cry out. But in this moment, it's kind of like sackcloth and ashes. There's not much else we can do. There's been an edict given, and Lord, we're going to make our requests known, but help us to do it in humility. Help us to come before you humble, and Lord, regardless of your answer, would we know that if we know you, if we've surrendered our lives, if we've asked you, Jesus, to come into our lives, that you filled us, you bring the Holy Spirit, you give us forgiveness of our sins, past, present, and future, and then you clothe us. You clothe us in your righteousness, and you give us the mandate to go out and to tell others about how great you are, to put you on display and to celebrate that. And so, Father, we pray that, that we do that, and whether that's making some phone calls this week to people or... Um, you know, figuring out technology that we didn't know before we could use to FaceTime or Zoom or just, Lord, would we be the church um, and help us uh, to do that to one another, not just, you know, our leaders calling us, but us being the church, that, that our members would be reaching out to others. And Lord, as we put stuff out there this week for people to connect to on the webpage and resources for them, I pray they would invite other people to use those resources that people could connect and dive in and hear about you so that at the end of this, we're going to see that there are a lot of people who asked you to come into their lives and you answered and you forgave them. That you paid the price and then we can celebrate together that many people now follow our God. Pray all this in your name. Amen. Amen.